and welcome to another episode of Mana and Coffee. I'm your host, Henry Hollow. Glad that you've chosen to join us, and I hope that in our uh, short uh, few minutes together today, you will find uh, a mana just a little bit, just enough for today. Uh, my goal is to provide an opportunity for you to reflect on life, on faith, on scripture, uh, to provide an opportunity uh, for us to wonder, to hope, to question, to struggle, um, and to journey forward together. Today on the podcast, we are going to be looking at a passage of scripture that, if I'm honest, for the vast majority of my life, didn't mean that much to me or really even catch my attention. Um, sandwiched between the miracles, uh, healings, feedings, um, all of those things, it just seemed like a travel passage. Uh, it, it was biblical flyvo- flyover country. Um, but the more I've come to understand the world of uh, the ancient Near East, um, the culture of Jesus' day, the more that this passage has come to mean something to me, to be something worth uh mining in my own life, uh, maybe more so than those passages that I often fly to, the destinations we land in, because we like the power, we like the imagery. But here, uh, towards the end of chapter 9 in Luke's Gospel, in verse uh, 51, verses 51 through 56, uh, in what I termed a minute ago biblical flyover country, uh, we find the goal, um, something worth paying attention to. The verses go like this. As the time approached when Jesus was to be taken up into heaven, he determined to go to Jerusalem. He sent messengers on ahead of him. Along the way, they entered a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the Samaritan villagers refused to welcome him because he was determined to go to Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? Jesus turned and spoke sternly to them, and they went on to another village. James and John uh, take up, I guess, the role we've often attributed to Peter, the the foot-in-the-mouth role. But it says something that their gut reaction to rejected hospitality at this Samaritan village is to hope for the destruction of the village itself. I don't think I have to spend a whole lot of time talking about the historic animosity between the Jewish people and the Samaritan people during the time of Jesus and in the years before and after Jesus' life. They hated each other. Um, And yet, you could still hope for hospitality passing through the land of your enemies in Jesus' time because the world functioned on hospitality. And even if they were your enemy, um, they were also your responsibility in your village to care for, to provide for, Um, And it's interesting to note that the way the passage reads, Jesus and his followers would have received hospitality with one exception, and it's that they were headed to Jerusalem to worship. We know uh, that that is really the breaking point between uh, the Jewish people and the Samaritan people during this time. The Jewish people worship God in the temple in Jerusalem, and the Samaritan people worship God 
on the mountain outside, uh, well, uh, on, the, on Mount Gerizim in the northern part of the region. Uh, they worship the same God. They hold many of the same texts sacred. They trace their lineage to the same place. And because they have so much in common, um, and maybe because their dividing point is uh, something as uh, important as far as people place value on it as the place where God is worshipped, then the hatred is uh, amplified. Amplified enough that James and John, who earlier in chapter 9 were part of a group that could not muster enough faith to cast out a demon in a, uh, in a small child, uh, here feel they can muster enough faith to burn an entire village to the ground. They have faith enough to hate, not faith enough to make a difference in the lives of others. And maybe that's an interesting point of reflection when, in the next chapter, Jesus uses one of these very Samaritans as the image of uh, compassionate neighbor. And I wonder what James and John were thinking as Jesus told the story of the man wounded in the ditch. As the priest and the Levite walked by, the two people you might expect to intervene, to make a difference, to heal, uh, to care for, to show compassion. And then when the third character walks on the scene and is a Samaritan, the one who you would expect if you were a Jewish person at this time, to make everything worse, to kick them while you're down, the type of person who deserves to be carpet bombed for withholding hospitality. And they show up and act compassionately wonder what James and John thought of that. We've always focused on the reply of the legal expert in that passage who asks the question who gets the story told. But James and John were in that crowd too and just a chapter before, maybe just a few days or a few weeks before, they've suggested the destruction of their enemies as an appropriate response to not having a meal and a bed at night. And I wonder what they thought of that passage. And the reason I think this passage is valuable um, is because uh, I have eyes and ears and brain and a TV and a computer and I have watched the news and I have read people's posts on social media and I have come to realize, not that it was all that difficult to realize, that we very much still have Samaritans in our world. People who are remarkably similar to us in every possible way. And yet we pick a handful of differences to decide are worth ruining their lives over. I say ruining their lives over, but maybe ending their lives over is a more appropriate comparison. And while we would happily claim not to be murderers, not to wish death on anyone, our rhetoric betrays us, and there are plenty of people who we would rather, if we were honest with ourselves, just not exist at all. People from whom a minor infraction occurs, uh, incurs an overzealous wrath. We might be willing to forgive the same shortcomings in others, people more like us, or at least people we like more, maybe that's the way to say it. The James and John in us wants them gone. Where's the Jesus in us? Who will take that part of us aside, speak sternly, offer correction, and then, 
tell a story where we recognize that the other, the hated enemy, is actually the loving, compassionate neighbor we should strive to be. So I guess that's the encouragement I have at the end of this podcast. Whatever that person or group of people are, and you certainly know it, be honest with yourself enough to identify them. Figure out a way to tell yourself a story where that person, the hated enemy, the one worth bombing over nothing, is the hero, the compassionate neighbor, the one you hope to be. And maybe, just maybe, in doing so, we will learn to see the goodness in others. We will learn to see uh, the image of God in others. It is really the only way we can come to uncover and live out the image of God that is in ourselves. Grace and peace. Thanks for listening. God bless.